So I get way more nervous than Lowell does for his races. My wife would be the exact same. She's crazy for days. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Obstacles and Opportunities with Lowell and Julie. Sharing stories, empowering mindsets. The fastest Paralympian on earth is here. Jason Smith is a four-time Paralympic gold medalist in the 100-meter sprint, and he chatted with us from his home in Ireland. As a result of Stargardt's disease, Jason has lost all of his central vision and has about 5-10% to of his peripheral vision left. He tells us about the mindset of a blind sprinter, his insane race experience in Tokyo, and the power of sport in his life. Jason and Lowell bond over the importance of a good sense of humor, and they even swap embarrassing blind guy stories. Thanks for the great conversation, Jason, and we hope you all enjoy. Hello. Oh, hello. Jason Smith is connecting. Jason Smith is connected. Whoa. (laughs) Hello, Jason Smith, you legend. (laughs) How are you? Good, yourselves? Oh, good. So our mutual friend, Claire, whom you grew up with in Ireland, gave me this book called, I don't even know how to say the title. The Wild Big Dairy. Yeah. Oh, okay. The Wild Big Dairy Phrasebook. So this has, it's basically like Irish to English, <laughs> like to Canadian <laughs> English translations. So, uh, so you speak English, but apparently a bit different of an English. So what are your, fa- what are your favorite Irishisms or phrases? You should be telling me after reading that book. <laughs> I, I couldn't read it all. <laughs> I'm a little bit overwhelmed. There's a lot of words. It it's looks awesome. very interesting. You are our first guest from Ireland, which is awesome. We are excited to have hopefully you. Hopefully not the last. And hopefully not the last. But probably the most legendary, let's be honest. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, okay. Are there any even other Paralympians or Olympians anywhere who have four back-to-back gold medals in the same event? Does that even exist? Is that even a thing? There's possibly. I have I've no idea. There's too many sports, too many <laughs> yeah. athletes. So. Yeah. Well, anyways, it's very notable. <laughs> yeah, you've had a great career. You are a fast man, <laughs> yeah. and we're excited to speak to you. You've had to also overcome some obstacles in your life, and that's part of the conversation we'd like to have with you today, that, that mindset, the ability to overcome those obstacles, and also what that has given you, the gifts on the other side of overcoming. So we'd love to hear a little bit more about your childhood and what your vision is like. So I have an eye condition called Stargardt's. So you've got the central vision and then the peripheral vision. And for me, the central vision is completely blind. And the central vision there is what you would use to see things at distance. It would be what brings in clarity and detail in what you're seeing. So therefore, for me, I, I have to use the peripheral vision, which basically in very simple terms means everything is extremely blurry. I often don't see the details on things, but I would often make things out because of color contrasts Mm. on what shapes those colors are. So roughly about five to 10% vision is kind of the range I'm in. I was diagnosed with it when I was about seven or eight years old. I'm now 34. So a few years ago at this stage. Yeah. So it's a progressive disease. Yeah, so I've been fortunate enough that it's been fairly stable, but there's certainly an unknown of, you know, it could get worse or this could be me fairly stable for the rest of my life. So there's the unknown around that. And I'm not really sure there's a huge amount you can do to influence it or or impact it. It kind of is what it is, really, Mm -hmm. you know. Do corrective lenses help with the clarity at all? No, not for me. 
again, I can't remember the exact details of the eye condition, but it's like basically something within the eye obviously doesn't work. And therefore the lenses nearly just adjust the way light enters your eye. So for me, it doesn't matter what way the light enters my eye, what isn't there isn't there. Mm-hmm. So we've had a similar timing. I have retinitis pigmentosa and was diagnosed at yeah. about the same age around that seven years old. And I've been slowly losing my vision, but it's been the peripheral that I've been losing and the opposite of yours. So together, you guys are either one fully sighted (laughs) being or one fully blind being. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's, quite interesting, obviously, with speaking to other athletes and other people with visual impairments is just how different impairments are around vision. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. everybody's nearly trying to understand what somebody else thinks, but you nearly just assume people who don't see well, see like you do. But uh, as you say there, in this instance, you are the, you're the complete opposite of what I am, you know? So, and obviously that probably makes slightly different challenges. Yeah. Lola had some goggles made that emulate his tunnel vision so that when we do speaking events, people can try them on Mm. and kind of feel what it's like to see through his eyes a bit, a bit. It's still not the same, but. (laughs) It's always a question people ask is like, what can you see? Yeah. And it's like I always say to people is, well, you tell me what you can, you can see. Like, it's very hard to tell someone what you can and can't see. Yeah. And tell you what I didn't see after I ran into it. Yeah. <laughs> that post. That post, that window, that door, that child, that small dog. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> There's a lot I can't see. So at what stage did you start running or realize you had a knack for it? I started athletics or as you guys call track and field out there around 15 I think it was so I would have played other sports football would have been what I played the most as in soccer and any sport I did I was always quick at and I was just somebody naturally very sporty but it wasn't then until a, a school teacher actually encouraged me to go to athletics or track and field at around 15 that um I actually then started going more to practice and and training and went from there, really. I think maybe after about a couple of years, I had qualified for, as I said, it was quick enough, Youth Commonwealth Games, Mm. which wasn't even the Paralympic side of things. It was was mainstream, so obviously people fully sighted. um, And I'd won Irish schools championships in the 100 and 200 meters and i actually kind of started in in athletics or track and field through the mainstream side of things and then i knew nothing about paralympic sport and this is back in 2004 2003 where it's in a very different place nowadays than it was then Mm -hmm. yeah and from there kind of the opportunity came to to get involved Wow. So that is actually one of our questions. You have been involved in parasport for 15 years. And when did you notice that shift of attention and focus on parasport? I'd definitely say um, London 2012 would have been a massive shift on that. Ah. And I I think a lot of credit goes to Great Britain for how they, they did the games, how they hosted the games, how they supported the games. And to be fair, Britain have been one of the leading Paralympic nations. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was great that they got it. And I think the big success for me in any of these is when people are actually paying money to come out and support it and watch it. Mm-hmm. Like that starts to show that you have interest in it and people know enough about it and want to watch it. Yeah. So I, I think when I kind of look back, London 2012 was a, was a big shift in it. 
I didn't sense Rio the same magnitude of a shift, but again, different different places, different people, mm-hmm. different circumstances. Like, you know, maybe people couldn't afford to go in Brazil where most people in London could afford to go. So, you know, there's there's other factors that that, mm. that possibly influence that. And then obviously Tokyo, I think would have been a mm. In terms of the games, I think it would have been incredible as in the Japanese would have came out to support it and and big numbers. And I got the sense there was huge excitement and energy from them, but we just didn't actually get to experience it. So I think London definitely has kind of set the standard. And I think it's only going to, well, I know it's only going to continue. And when I look back at these games, and I know within athletics specifically or track and field specifically, you've seen a lot of the events really kick on in standard and, and strength and depth. Mm-hmm. And that's a sign of a sport that is improving and building. Mm-hmm. And I think that'll continue Paris. I think LA is going to be a massive one. Mm. I know maybe it's the Canadians don't like the Americans that much, but when the Americans really get behind something, <laughs> everything often starts to shift because that brings in a lot of awareness and a lot of, I suppose, finance as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it takes a lot to get a movement going. So through the Paris sport movement, we've seen countries invest. We've seen the coaching levels, the depth of the field. The world records are every single event, it seems like, in cycling and other sports. We just see world record after world record being broken. It's the technology, it's the coaching. The elite level of sport has really been going up in these last number of Paralympics. Yeah, for sure. Um, And as I said, Tokyo here, again, I don't know about in other sports, but like in athletics, the landscape has just shifted all of a sudden in such a short period of time. And I think it'll only continue. Only continue. And you had a really great race. What I want to know is, did you have any idea how close that guy was to you? Like, did you know just how close it was? Yeah, I had a fair idea. It was extremely close. <laughs> for you, actually, um, with more of a tunnel vision, that would have been very difficult, yeah. I'm assuming, for you to yeah. be able to, you wouldn't even have seen anybody on, on your side there. I'm a horse, with, for me, not with, like a horse built with built-in blinders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where for me, at least when I have peripheral vision, that I'm able to see people and it's not the detail, but when you can just moving right beside you, you know, there's somebody right there <laughs> beside you. So yeah. crossing the line, I thought it was me, <laughs> just about me. But then I kind of thought just whatever way he moved or mm-hmm. just cross the line, I thought he kind of gestured a wee bit like he was celebrating. And oh. now that was a wee bit like, oh, was, oh. was it actually me? Yeah. Oh. Why, why is he celebrating? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought it was me, but it was so close. I, I can't be sure. And then obviously I can't see the, the screen in the stadium. Mm. So I actually didn't even know. I think everybody else around in the stadium or watching knew I'd won, but I didn't actually know. They didn't announce uh, it? Because there's so much going on oh. in that moment and there's noise and, you know, it may say in Japanese and then in English. Oh, or, yeah. I, I, I didn't, I didn't really catch it yeah. um, it possibly did am i disappointed um, i'm excited i don't know what i'm feeling yeah it was actually one of our staff on the irish team was through in the flag and i had to oh. ask him what you know was it me who what, won? Are, you know, so. what am i celebrating here first or second yeah, yeah. yeah yeah so what was the time difference then like how much did you win by uh 100th of a second <laughs> oh, geez, you can't get any closer than that 
No, that's as close as it gets in the sprints. So, and what did they yeah. they, they mark? Was it because you leaned forward? Was it the head that they hit, or was it? Do you know what they? Uh, they no, it'll it'll go on like the shoulders or sure. chest, whatever. So the head doesn't matter. It'll be the shoulders, chest. Okay. But obviously, if you're poking the head forward, then yeah, it's all forward. The chest or shoulders is usually following. So yeah, it was a good dip. Uh, and so you you had a really fast start. You were out front, and then that slow creep up, and just just at the line. Yeah, he came back over the probably the last 10, 20 meters. He had actually run quicker than me this year. Actually, he was new. So after a few months ago, I didn't even know of him or knew he was oh. there. So there was there's actually like I talk about the strength and depth changing. Mm-hmm. Second, third and fourth were all new. Wow. Oh, wow. So like, you know, there's a huge shift. But I knew that I needed to get out hard. Was you're you're trying to run hard the whole way, obviously, but I knew I need to get out really well and mm-hmm. put them under or him under pressure because again in, in sprints, because it happens so quickly, if you put somebody under pressure, they tend to then react to what you do. Because you don't have time to think about it if you think, mm. you know, by the time I think about you doing something, <laughs> it's, um, too late. it's a second gone. Yeah. And you've already got 10 meters. So you can't actually do anything about that. So it's nearly becomes a wee bit reactive as you sometimes react to somebody else because they put you under pressure, which forces you to do something different. Mm. Or sometimes it's nearly ability. How do you hit your positions without being influenced by somebody else? So I knew because he had run quicker than me that I had to put him under pressure. And then it was trying to hold on at the end so thankfully that is exactly what happened (laughs) couldn't have been any any closer yeah couldn't have played with that anymore (laughs) one of these words we we talk about in sport is mistakes and sometimes you have the ability or the space to make a mistake and other times you don't tell me a little bit about mistakes in in a sprint yeah and that race is a good example of a time that i could not make a, a mistake where I think of times I've won in the past, say London 2012, I may be won by five meters and therefore I could have made mistakes and still won. And I think that was one of the most pleasing things for me about Tokyo is this was probably the first time in all my Paralympic success that I was in a position that I couldn't afford to make a mistake. And, and in that situation, I was able to execute and not make the mistake. As much as I've had a lot of success, mm. that was actually a bit of an unknown for me is I've had a lot of success, but I've been able to make mistakes and have success. And it's, mm. it's a different ball game not being able to make mistakes. And as I'm sure you know and are, are aware is at that end of sport, it's a massive mental game. Mm. Uh, and that's where the real challenge lies yeah. in those moments, days, weeks running up to it. You know, I was in the situation where I was ranked number one everybody around thought you know jason smith's gonna win we've seen him race before and win by meters and all of a sudden i knew that Mm. there was a new guy in the race yeah who had run quicker than me but most people didn't know that and therefore their expectation is for you to win yeah and then just the challenge of, of trying to deal with that Mm. play is yeah that could mess with your head Yeah. yeah so what what do you do with pressure what did you do with that he ate it for breakfast (laughs) (laughs) um i mean it's always a hard one to describe how you deal with pressure because everybody is so different in how they deal with it Mm -hmm. i find i'm i'm quite good at at dealing with it and i think my personality also 
suits being able to deal with it. Like I'm, I'm very laid back and I don't tend to overthink things. And I'm very good at focusing on the things that I need to do and the things that I need to get right, like control on what I can control. And for me, I think that gives me the ability to deal with it. So I can very easily deflect all the noise, forget about all the noise, you know, what people are talking about, switch off from what others think focus on on what I need to do. And if you're able to be in that frame of mind with kind of being relaxed and not uptight, then I think for me in a way, it allows me to deal with the situations better. Sounds kind of like you, Lol. Hey, you resonate with that? Yeah, I find the same that making sure those moments, we don't cause our own suffering in that moment with our thoughts, right? That we can put on some fuel on that fire of pressure. Control the controllables. (laughs) Yeah, but if we can control the controllables, I love to laid back. I always like to come back to gratitude and that I'm, I'm yeah. I have gratitude to be here at this race at this time to have the fitness that I do. And then that trusting the coaches, the training, my fitness. So I get way more nervous than Lowell does for his races. My wife would be the exact same. She's crazy for days. <laughs> How did she do being in another country while you were doing it? Was she still pacing and anxious? And... Yep, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think, and, and like, I'm not on the other end of, of it to know, but I think what makes it hard for somebody watching who cares and is so interested is you're in zero control mm-hmm. of, of what's happening or going on. Like yeah. you're sitting there watching unknown where at least I find if it when it's me, I'm in control of what I'm trying to do here mm. or I can influence it or I can impact it or I know I'm in a good place or not a good place where when you're sitting there watching, you're literally sitting there watching and you can just <laughs> pray as about all the things you can do that the things go right for them, you know, pray and yell at the TV. <laughs> <laughs> so is this your first Paralympics that she hasn't been at or did she, were you guys even together at the first one? Were you a child uh, at the first Olymp- no, Paralympics? Okay. I, We weren't together in Beijing. So she was there in London. Rio, she wasn't. It was in around the time we had our first kid within like less than a year. Mm. So obviously Rio's not the safest place in the world. So it wasn't worth the hassle of traveling to somewhere like there. They would have came to to Tokyo. Mm. Things obviously (laughs) massively changed in the last year and a half. So. And how did you do with that extra year? Do you feel like that was good for your training and your mindset or was it negative? Um, no, it didn't work out well for me as in where I was in preparation. Now, I got the result I wanted out of it, but it was a really tough year. So again, you look at it, say after Rio, you're planning a four-year cycle mm-hmm. and every mm-hmm. year builds. And then on the fourth year, you want to be rocking and rolling. And up until March 2020, I was running faster than I ever had been in quite some years. So at that point, I was exactly where I needed to be at at the right time. And like the flip side of it is the people that struggled in 2020 were absolutely delighted. They got got an extra year. Yeah. So then we went, obviously, again, I don't know what kind of lockdowns you've had in Canada, but we had... And around that time, we had three months of pretty much everything stopped. So you go there as an athlete who gets, well, me, I was getting treatment twice a week. So you're pushing your body, but you were being looked after and your your body was Mm. trying to reduce the risks of injuries. But then through those three months, I basically kept training. I got some of the gym equipment that I could bring to my house and use. I live only about 10 minutes away from the track now. The track was officially closed. But not for Paralympians. 
<laughs> uh, well, it was for everybody. Okay. But if you jump the fence, you know. So the, so the athletes that do high jump, they had a bit yeah. of a benefit. <laughs> the fence is only about waist height, so it was all right. Oh, okay. <laughs> we didn't even have in Northern Ireland, like a radius of where you had to stay, but you had to stay local. So it was close enough for me anyway. Nice. At the time I was thinking, let's maintain where I'm at. Mm. Yeah. And then tried to, to build from there when things opened up again. But unfortunately, then during the summer, I got injured. Oh, no. Um, picked up a back issue. I then actually had it pretty much for about four months all the way up to December. So I pretty much lost a lot of my winter. Mm. Oh, no. And then as a result, I was constantly playing catch up. I suppose my body hadn't done the work that it needed to then to be able to run that fast. And I picked up Achilles issues in April, <sighs> May, and I couldn't race. I only competed twice in the lead up to the games so i just had a year of Mm. issue after issue never really getting the work and a wee bit back to my race i said i had to get out hard i haven't actually if i'm honest got enough of the work done at the back end of the race so that was also an influence of where i knew i needed to put on under pressure because i knew i didn't have the max speed that i would have liked because i hadn't been able to do the full amount of work so i went into the summer obviously not where knowing that there's a new guy in there who's yeah. on quicker than me knowing that i was not where i needed to be Aww. but to be fair those involved around me like we managed things mm. like things worked out in terms of my performance probably as good as they possibly could have wow. for the situation so like oh, wow. a lot of people are part of you know making that happen and you know a lot mm. has gone on to get there and get things right so it wasn't ideal but i think that that often makes the moment even sweeter mm-hmm. when things haven't gone well and you talk about the challenges and you know how tough the year was and then to come out of it just getting things right mm-hmm. certainly like and i and i've said it to other people before they've asked me like where does this games compare to others and for me the way i won this time in the circumstances has certainly been my most memorable one for that you know the meaning Mm. behind it is there's a lot more just because of what went on before it so yeah all the behind the the scenes struggle the pain the injury the uncertainty (laughs) all the unknowns and then have the team come around support you you didn't do this alone (laughs) but to come through and have to deliver and then getting that result sounds like it's so much sweeter yeah absolutely you know like there's times throughout this year i was or this last 12 months like with my back issues i mean i'm 34 so i'm not a young athlete at this stage i, I was wondering at times you know is, is this me actually done as an athlete mm. there was other mm. times you're thinking with the achilles issue before i started competing am i going to make it to the games and if i do mm. make it to the games am i going to be in shape so mm. like you talk about there the uncertainty and, and what often comes with that is the doubt yeah yeah and that's something everybody battles with but it's trying to quickly look past it and get beyond it yeah if you focus on the doubt you're going to run right into it Yep, unfortunately. So, um, <laughs> yeah, and the hard thing with all of it is it's so easy to say it in hindsight, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Being able to do it when it actually, like, in the time and as it happens, it's often not till you, you stop and you reflect as you look back. And it's hopefully then you you learn from, did I deal with it well or, or yeah. not well or how could I have done better? So have you done that, that self-reflection over this past? What did you learn? I think, like... Again, it's something I want to look as a, as an athlete. It's something we would do on a yearly basis as at the end of the season is reflect on what went well and what didn't go well. 
and it's taken those learnings forward into mm -hmm. the next year because you know as an athlete you're, you're trying to find those small gains and the small percents and it's been able to learn from those situations it doesn't matter how many years you've been doing it you're constantly learning and if you're not constantly learning and improving then you're not progressing and moving forward mm -hmm. you can't stand still so no because everybody else is moving forward yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I'm not sure if there is one specific lesson. There's lots of different lessons. One of the things I think out is just sometimes being patient. Mm. It's too easy to start rushing and trying to force the situation and trying to run faster. Some of the other things are more specific around the people I need to have around me that support me, how we go about structuring my training. Honestly, I haven't even started back training, so I'm back next week, but kind of use this period to mm -hmm. for all the people involved and and around the team is reflect mm -hmm. and kind of write down what we think and then we kind of plan and move forward from there do you have a sense of where you go from here another round uh, instead of the, the quad and the up to a normal four years so you have a three-year try now if you have paralympic gold number five in your sights <laughs> i'll tell you what the three-year cycle next it seems so much closer and yeah. so much easier to get to <laughs> so i mean the fact that the back training next week probably answers your question really yeah. doesn't it yeah so, it does awesome but i think as an older athlete it's harder to look three four five years in advance so mm -hmm. you know i that's very much where i do look but at the same time i've got to be honest and and reflect on a yearly basis of where i'm at and mm -hmm. i suppose a lot of it comes down to is how your body physically reacts yeah i was gonna say i like injure myself jogging down our hallway so <laughs> i can't imagine like putting that effort into those sprints all the time how frequently do you injure yourself is it becoming more frequent yeah, with age it <laughs> just depends isn't it you know some years you can get away with no issues and then all of a sudden you have a year like last year where it just seems to be one after the other and the problem is you miss a, a bulk of work mm -hmm. and you're constantly mm. playing catch up and again for a sprinter we're putting huge forces through our body. So if yeah. your body's not robust enough to take it, then eventually it's going to break. And, and you're trying to play at a max or as close to the max as possible. So it's a very, very fine line. And um, as an older athlete, that's also something you've got to be aware. Mm -hmm. Like what I could do 10 years ago and what my body can take 10 yeah. years ago isn't what it takes now. And you've got to be able to adapt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and be aware of that and constantly adjust yeah. within those circumstances so it's a hard one to answer but it's a it's massive mm -hmm. you know when i think back of a lot of my career i've been fortunate enough i've had issues and injuries but I've, like i've had no muscle tears which is quite good for sprinters yeah but again a lot of it comes back to is being consistent over yeah. time yeah. and not neglecting the small and simple things that often are neglected really focusing on that recovery more and more important yeah. the older we get yeah, and yeah. the experience as a strategy all the things that you mentally know now is probably huge yeah the combination of a lot of that stuff is and again i can sit and say this from my experience is it's not now to you're at this stage you look back and see the benefits of all those things that mm -hmm. you did mm -hmm. and i've seen other athletes that have not and you get away with it for a time but then there becomes a point that you don't get away with it and i think that's often one of the lessons for longevity in what you're doing is you know that discipline to everything in your life aligning up to what mm -hmm. you're trying to achieve and in this instance trying to win gold medals hmm. yeah so you said you were running your fastest kind of march 2020 what is your personal best time for 100 meters 
my fastest is 10.22, which oh. is back 2011 and 12 is when I was running my PB times or I think wow. you guys say PRs, their personal <laughs> records. <laughs> <laughs> Can you look at all your translations. You're, you're, you're doing yeah, well. You're yeah. good. Yeah. I lived in Florida for a few years, so uh, I had to learn. Oh, my wife's yeah. actually from the States. So oh, okay. I'm, oh. I'm on the lingo. <laughs> You've got a translator just walking around right there with you. <laughs> so, so your PR, that's, that's a fast time. Yeah, that's really fast. And to give some context uh, to the listeners... Canada's Andre de Grasse, who won gold at the Olympics in Tokyo, his time for the 100 meters was 9.89 seconds, I believe. My personal time for the 100 meters is about 10.5 minutes. <laughs> so, so forget para, like you're, you're right up there with non-para too. Yeah, so I mean, at my best, I narrowly missed out on making the Olympics in 2012. In 2012, the Olympic A standard was 10.18, so four hundredths wow. of a second away from making the Olympics in 2012. Like I have competed at European Championships, Commonwealth Games and World Championships, all the non-para mainstream side. So yeah, like that was something I've always tried to do throughout my sport is trying to bridge the gap between para and mainstream. And I don't know, I've always kind of been attracted to this idea of trying to achieve things that people don't nearly see as possible. You know, you, you look at somebody who has five to 10% vision and you think they shouldn't be able to do that. But I, mm-hmm. I'm not a believer in that. I, I believe anything is possible. And that's why you have all those gold medals. <laughs> that's why I try to have them all, yeah. <laughs> have you ever run tethered? I'm just curious, just because when Lowell no. did triathlon, he did tethered running. So you've never run tethered. How many categories are there for visually impaired for running? So on the track, you have... T11, T12, and T13. I'm T13, which is, again, roughly that 5 to 10% vision. And nobody in T13 goes with a guide. T11 is completely blind and obviously have a guide. And then T12 have the option to have a guide. And they're roughly that, I don't know, say 1 to 5% vision. Is it T11 that also wear blindfolds? Yeah. So it evens them all out, so they're all completely blind? Yeah, so there's nobody cheating them or pretending they can't see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that. Sometimes like, you're just faking it, right? You're just, you're just yeah. faking it for this. Well, I'm sure that you you must get that too. Like both you and Lowell, you don't look like you have a visual impairment. And so, um, well, maybe you two should swap embarrassing stories. Do you have embarrassing stories? Because Lowell sure does. <laughs> it's like the being a blind uh, guy well, who doesn't. Now apply. that you've mentioned them, I think we have to hear them. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Where shall I start? Okay. One, we were boarding a plane once. Our seats were the inside two seats in a row of three. Lowell was walking ahead of me and I thought he was fine. And then he was making his way to the window seat. And I realized in horror that he did not notice that there was a lady sitting in the aisle seat. (laughs) And so to make his way in, he leaned against that aisle seat, pressing her face against the seat with his whole entire palm <laughs> in the process. That was, she just looks so stunned. And I was like, oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. He's visually impaired. <laughs> it was a pretty long and quiet flight. Yes. <laughs> I was surprised you just didn't say, sorry, I don't know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> that's much better. Oh, that's funny. There was another time when our boys, we have two kids, they're eight and a half and 10. And when they were younger, we were at this little water park area and there was a really large hot tub and there were two young men, I guess, sitting side by side on the edge of it with their legs dangling in. And I was distracted with the kids for a minute. I thought Lowell was totally fine getting in the hot tub himself. 
and I looked up just in time to see him settling in between one man's legs. <laughs> like of all, it was a large hot tub. Of all the places in the hot tub, he sat between, like in his in this guy's legs, and they looked so uncomfortable. <laughs> and they quickly left. Yes, they did. <laughs> Anyways, do you have anything like that? <laughs> uh, I don't seem to think mine seemed to be thankfully as. Uh... Bad as that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Count your lucky stars. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that comes to my mind is similar thing, but not is. So I went into the shop. Uh, I was in the car with my friend. It's a red car. You obviously know where the story's going to go from here, but um, went in the shop, come back out, get in the red car, sitting at the exact same spot I left, and uh, <laughs> sat down and looked across, and there was this old woman sitting in the front seat just looking at me, thinking. Uh, what who is this i just looked and whoops sorry boy <laughs> now you hopped you know so wrong red car i'm glad she didn't have a heart attack and just like keel over <laughs> that would have been a tragic story we take a lot of flights as well and i was getting off the flight and going down the walkway back up into yeah. the uh, terminal and it looked like the path went straight forward and it's before i had my cane out and i walked right it's glass wall and i walked right into the glass wall at like that kind of you know you're getting off an airplane and you kind of got that clip people are behind you and then my whole team behind Behind me is just laughing at me <laughs> smack my face in the window at least you're with yeah. people you knew then otherwise it's more embarrassing yeah. when when you're all alone you, you got to learn to just laugh about it don't you yeah. yeah and that is one huge thing about lowell that has kind of carried us both through his continual vision loss and it's always changing for him it's always different he's always adjusting to more vision loss and just his sense of humor about it that he can laugh about it and have fun with it. That's, I think, made a huge difference for both of us. Humor is that that coping technique to get through the tough times, right? When the massive loss, the perpetual loss and grief that we experience. And I wonder for you, how have you dealt with your vision loss? What were your coping strategies and tools that have gotten you through? Probably a massive part of it has been through my journey in sport and the success I've had, to be to be honest. I mean, laughing about ones is is one for sure. When I was diagnosed with the eye condition, there's a lot of those years through school and you're trying to fit in, but not mm. to be seen to be different, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which which often can be <laughs> quite hard. And I think then what that does is it massively dents your confidence and your belief in yourself, which then has a massive impact on everything else you do mm-hmm. or want to do, you know. So I think for me, sport really, really changed, I would say. I hadn't accepted the situation I, I was in. That's a hard thing for anybody to do is to accept, mm. you know, the hand you've been dealt. And for me, sport changed that. That mm. took me way out of my comfort zone. I was all of a sudden having to shine a light <laughs> on everything I wanted to hide. Oh, you know, yeah. my vision, I had to talk about it, had to get comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And going out of my comfort zone on a lot of that shifted my mindset around it, my confidence in myself my belief in myself and I think that's actually through a lot of those challenges and struggles that you grow and you learn and improve Mm -hmm. more than you would if you weren't in those situations people can't quite understand it but I wouldn't change anything I'm happy I'm very comfortable Mm -hmm. and I've found that my whole experience has has turned my vision and who that has made me into Mm -hmm. one of my greater strengths Mm. So having said that, and you're thankful for what you've gone through, if there was a cure that was available for you tomorrow and you could be fully sighted again, would you take it? I think I would, yeah. 
That sounds lovely. I think, yeah, I would. It depends on if I was guaranteed it worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if it was also the risk of going blind, oh. completely blind, then I, no, I wouldn't take the risk. Mm-hmm. But my vision has massively shaped me and everything that I've I've been through, which I wouldn't change. Until you don't have something, you also don't realize all the things that you miss or the things that other people take for granted. Mm-hmm. Even just being able to have eye contact with somebody or somebody walking two meters or a meter away from me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know them unless they talk to me. Yeah, I'd love to be able to just see people or see even my kids being able to smile at me from across the room. Like there's yeah. very simple things that you miss. I don't know what I would do for days and weeks and months and years after if all of a sudden I could see it would be like a whole new world, really, I think. Yeah. Yeah, just constant travel. and <laughs> Yeah. Wow, that really looks like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Looking at strangers awkwardly down the hall, like, just because you can make eye contact with them. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like we've landed on a pretty similar place that I'm grateful for the gifts that I've learned from a visual impairment. I'm grateful for who it's shaped me into and the lessons that I've learned. But I wouldn't wish this on somebody else. And it definitely has caused a lot of pain. And I would choose to take that. And mostly actually for the people in my life. Like Julie, she has to do all the driving and so much of the extra work that I can't do. Or it's a lot. I don't like that word can't. It's a lot more difficult for me to do. And the government says well, I can't drive. I mean, the driving, that yeah. one's like a legal issue. So, <laughs> so there's certain things I can't but do. But we've talked about this before too. If Lowell all of a sudden had his sight back, like that would be really exciting. But all of a sudden, yeah. I would have to rethink my whole identity. Not my whole identity, yeah. but a large part of my identity is, you know, being his person and helping him out and yeah. and being there for him. So that would be a shift, definitely a shift in the family. It could be a positive shift, but it would definitely be a shift. Yeah, no, it is interesting, you know. I don't know with your eye condition, is there any possibilities of or any developments that look mm. promising around that i know with mine they talk about the only chance probably is around gene therapy mm-hmm. and, and that whole area which again that whole area is developing and developing fast mm-hmm. so you never yeah. know what the future has in store but yeah. is there yeah. anything around same thing right before covid hit actually lowell was contacted by a university in the states somewhere yeah pennsylvania yeah, pennsylvania and using gene therapy i believe as well cured mm his version of retinitis pigmentosa in rats and pigs. And they were starting with human trials and they asked Lowell if he wanted to be part of the trial group. But again, like you, I think Lowell, you would rather, hey, Lowell, have something that's a tried and true I'd rather somebody else be the guinea pig. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, yeah, in clinical trials, I, I'm not I mean, not they a already had of... literal pigs, but... <laughs> And so in that same kind of vein, is there a chance that you you have two daughters? Yeah. Is there a chance that either of them would be carriers or have Stargardt's? I'm not exactly like there obviously is a possibility. I'm not sure what the odds are or how likely it is. Like when I just think of my family, my granda would have had the eye condition. None of his kids did. So my mom was obviously a carrier and I don't know, my dad was obviously some kind of carrier, but nobody else, like none of my brothers or sisters and I have three sisters and a brother have the eye condition or none of my cousins. So there's obviously a possibility and there's a possibility my girls be carriers as well. Mm -hmm. So I could skip a generation. Yeah. How old are your girls? Three and five. So still quite young. Okay. Do they show anything? Okay. That's positive. What about with you guys? Yeah, we have a seven and nine year old. Well, no, they're actually eight and 10. Well, it changes every year. (laughs) 
COVID. Are COVID. Still in 2020, are you? We're still in 20. In, it's Tokyo 2020, in, right? In Lowell's was, defense, yeah, yeah, yeah. In Lowell's defense <laughs> technically, the older one is still nine, but by the time this episode comes out, he will be 10. Uh, so right. I'm saying 10. <laughs> in <laughs> Anyways, my defense. Yeah. Um, and mine is X linked. And so I gave my Y to the boys. That was my gift to them. So they <laughs> So they, generous, they, eh? My generous. <laughs> I didn't have to get rid of my X. really crappy ex. So. Yeah. So if, if we had had girls, they would be carriers and then their sons yeah. would have a 50% chance of having it full blown. Like Lowell mm. and his brother, they both had 50% chance of having it full blown and they both got it full blown. And his mom is a carrier. So yeah, in our family, we've wiped that out with us because we good. just had two boys and mm-hmm. not planning on having any more. <laughs> <laughs> that ship has sailed. That factory is shut down. <laughs> But we are, like our identities are largely wrapped up in this. Part of our TV appearances, our podcast, the racing, my involvement to parasport. There's so many things that have been connected to my vision loss and even the impact of a relationship. I feel that we are closer. We rely on each other and we are closer because of it. We hold hands a lot more probably. <laughs> um, she guides me around. Save you from walking into a post. Okay, yeah. yeah, usually. Sometimes I accidentally run them into them by accident. But <laughs> that's, that's a, kind of a funny story is in 2016, Lola and I were cast on The Amazing Race Canada, a reality show around here. And um, in the first week, we were in sequester in a hotel with all the teams. We weren't allowed to communicate with each other at all. So in this unfamiliar environment, especially in unfamiliar environments, Lowell and I are like all over each other. <laughs> like not, It's not like yeah. making out, but it's hands on my shoulder or we're holding hands or we're always touching. <laughs> and most people thought we were newlyweds when really we'd been <laughs> married for nine years. <laughs> but then one guy was like, that guy's got to be blind because she's touching him all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, only one person guessed that. Yes, it's funny the assumptions people make. <laughs> and I'm just curious on... How has your vision impacted your relationship with your wife and your story? There's no doubt my wife ends up taking more of the burden or, or bigger parts and some of the roles just simply because of, of vision. When you think of, you say, driving, driving the kids to school, mm-hmm. going to clubs. That's like the sports clubs, you mean, not the... Uh... the clubs are like out out dancing but young for that they are (laughs) i don't know how they do things in ireland i know you like your i know you like your guinness so (laughs) but that extra weight that extra time the shopping groceries driving transported the kids that extra weight yeah there's no doubt that's one of the things people wouldn't know without being in the situations like yourselves is how much one person actually ends up having to do more or even just with the kids there's things that i just don't see or pick up or mm-hmm. you know, i could be in the garden and i can be sitting in the house and i'm not seeing really what they're at <laughs> it just requires a lot more time and energy and effort on her part you know mm-hmm. my wife's probably better at pointing out all the things to be honest <laughs> <laughs> well you know for me when people ask me i actually well, now I thought about it more, but I'm like, oh, just wait, like, how, how am I involved in this? Like, it's just so normal. It's just part of our yeah. everyday routine. And he is very capable and independent. The cane is more for other people's <laughs> awareness. So if he does plow someone over or walk into something, then they know why. But otherwise, like he can navigate around fairly well in familiar territory. Hey, As much as we're both vision impaired, the things you have to deal with are slightly different Mm -hmm. than the things I have to deal with. And they're the same in some things, but also different in others. But the reality is people aren't aware of that around you. Mm -hmm. And that's where you rely on 
the people that are around you that Absolutely. are aware of the situation to um, yeah. figure out how to best manage it. And your wife has been that for you as one of those supports. What are some of the things or what is the thing that you love most about your wife, the lessons she's taught you or what she has provided for you? I'd say a lot of things were quite the opposite, <laughs> which is sometimes frustrating and sometimes fabulous. <laughs> yeah. like, I would be a bit more... Like, and I say kind of back to my personality as an athlete, like I'm a lot more relaxed and I wouldn't be the most empathetic or sensitive around other people mm. or just aware of other people's feelings and thoughts where she would be. Mm. Isn't that part of relationships and mm -hmm. couples mm -hmm. is I know often people are similar in things, but where you're weak, hopefully the other person can help you. Mm -hmm. um, be better at and, and see things in a different light or in a different perspective because mm -hmm. that's for me how you become a better person and a more rounded person is being able to actually see things from a different perspective you know that's something that my wife would give me oh that's beautiful that's a that's mm -hmm. a great answer a plus how's your grading system <laughs> in ireland do you use a's <laughs> is that, is that... a plus sounds good okay good, good. <laughs> just i was worried all of a sudden that oh what if you guys have like the opposite grading system we are impacted by the people in our lives and you have a mindset that sounds like you don't want to be seen because of your disability necessarily like you tried to do able-bodied and push hard and, and that word of i can't right it's you, you're trying to do things and, and push yourself that doesn't always come from us is there a little bit of that from your family of origin your parents how did they work with you and what lessons did they teach you as you just said, the people around you are the people that influence you and that can be for good or for bad. Mm -hmm. And when I think of growing up in the my family situation, I would just say was was very normal, but very stable. When I think of even getting involved in, in athletics to start with and maybe not wanting to bother go to training is, you know, the the attitude from a parents was you go and you go and you do it properly um, and you don't have to do something. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of that time, it nearly just sows the seeds of the foundations of hopefully what turns into to qualities and attributes that your child develops mm. over time and sees. And I think a lot of, again, you, you know it as well as me, is you've now see it from a different angle when you have kids mm -hmm. is the importance of, of what you do and, and the things that they see. And mostly they take it for granted, but there becomes a time in life when I think back of, of myself, that you've got to stand on your own two feet and make decisions for yourself. And I think it's at that point you begin to appreciate and realize, for me, I would say in a fortunate enough situation that I you know, had a good, solid family upbringing. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, Jason, it is past 9 p.m. for you, which is past my <laughs> bedtime. So one more question. Were you living in Florida because of athletics? Yeah. Okay. And that's when you met your wife and then you brought her back to Ireland? Something like that. Yeah, we were in London for a few years and I eventually moved her closer and closer to the promised land. <laughs> promised land of rain and Guinness. <laughs> yeah, lots of both, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> Those are very much just Irish stereotypes. I'm sure there's, there's lots more. <laughs> uh, leprechauns. Oh, leprechauns. How dare I forget. Still yet to see one of those, but I'm sure they're about somewhere. Oh, they've got to be. Our kids are perfecting their traps for here. So <laughs> the Canadian Irish leprechauns. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat no with us across the ocean. We hope to uh, race with you. 
If yeah. you switch to cycling, you guys could uh, <laughs> compete. We could be racing. <laughs> we could be racing. <laughs> it's less injuries. Less injuries. It is true. <laughs> well, Unless you crash. I think I'm going to stick with what I'm good at. Yeah. Yeah. And you're very good at that. Yeah. It's a good call. So we'll see you in Paris. See yeah. You in Paris. See you in Paris. Congrats again on yet another gold. <laughs> ah, thank you. And uh, we'll meet you in a few years. Sounds good. I look forward to it. Okay. <laughs> Have a Brush great night. Brush up on your French. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, our kids are in French immersion, so that's going to be very useful. Yeah. Au revoir. <laughs> awesome. All right. Have a great night, Jason. Likewise. Bye. <laughs> Thanks. Bye-bye. Ah, good Irish bloke. <laughs> Jason Smith. He's got the luck of the Irish with him. <laughs> yeah, apparently. A lot of gold medals. That was a very great, fun conversation yeah. with a champion, champion mindset. The experiences he's had similar with the loss of vision, having to navigate life with that lack of vision, and then having to continue to navigate forward with family support mindset and to keep chasing dreams. Pretty amazing. Awesome. There are good people all around the world. Another lesson for us that when we're seeing people out and about, everybody has a story. And we're hoping that you're enjoying listening to these stories of these individuals as they share their stories with you. Continue to ask people in your life, people that you meet, about their stories. Because everybody has a story that'll break your heart. Everybody has a story that can make you smile. So let's go ahead and continue to connect with people. For sure. Thank you, everybody, for being on this journey with us. As we meet really interesting people, we hope that you can take away some of these lessons from their mindset of overcoming and the mindset of resilience and growth. Yeah, I actually kind of checked out for a second there while we were chatting because I was just looking at our Zoom meeting and I was like, we are chatting with the fastest Paralympian in the world for the past 15 years and he's in Ireland and we're just shooting the breeze with him. How, how? How are we in this position that we are chatting with these super duper cool people? Internet? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Zoom. Yes. But just that he even agreed to. <laughs> it's like, I just had this moment of mm -hmm. this outer body, like what's happening? We just watched him mm. claim his title as the fastest Paralympian on earth again. And now we're chatting via the internet. Crazy. Well, I think that brings it full circle back to the obstacle of my vision and the obstacle of these challenges turns it into the opportunity to meet other people going through these challenges. So that's pretty awesome. We are excited to have these opportunities to speak to these individuals and learn from them. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.